Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, hello, and welcome to The Hash on Coindesk TV and The Coindesk Podcast Network. This right here is the penultimate episode of The Hash before we go on an extended indefinite hiatus. And we are going to have a fun time, I assure you. My name is Zach Seward. We got Jen Sinassi, Wendy O, Will Foxley. We're the hash. We have plenty of news to get to, including an SBF update that Jen is going to explain for us. Jen, what's going on? Another day, another SBF update. We can't get away from it. All right. The Department of Justice said in a filing on Tuesday that Sam Bankman-Fried's plan to argue that his lawyers approved alleged fraud during his time at FTX should be struck down for being irrelevant. U.S. Attorney Damian Williams said in the filing that SBF should specify the legal advice or abandon the proposed defense altogether, while SBF's attorneys say that sufficient disclosures were made and that his client's conditions in jail have violated the U.S. Constitution. Will, tossing this one off to you, what do you make of this? Is this just lawyer stuff? Is this just stuff we got to get done? Can I ask you that? You're the lawyer on this show. I'm not. I'm no lawyer. I'm no lawyer at all. I'm just a crypto boy. The alleged uh, lawyer. No, I, I think there's, oh, wait, wait. Yeah, crypto boy yeah. or Bitcoin boy? I'll Choose your words wisely here. In, okay. In reverence right. of the, the famous TikTok video, I'll be crypto I was going to say. Back to SBF, our other crypto boy in this story. Not having a great time. Apparently, he's also having some bail bond issues. Of course, he covered that last week where they got rid of his bail. He's on bail for $250 million. But then he started tampering with witnesses, and the DOJ wasn't a big fan of that. They went to the the prosecutors, went to the judge, got his bail revoked. He went to prison. He's in Brooklyn right now in jail, uh, awaiting his trial in October. And there's some disputes going back and forth about him being able to prepare for his hearing. He wants to be let out five days a week. That doesn't really work in jail, so that didn't happen. But they did give him some leeway to go on the internet. Uh, They gave him a laptop that had like Microsoft Word and Adobe on there. It was kind of like some fun little nuggets. Uh, And then also some limited access to the internet. 
but he's still not even happy with that. And he was like refusing to go back to his jail cell apparently at one point. So uh, we do have a little bit of a prima donna moment in jail, Brooklyn, which is just, again, more drama for SBS saga. Zach? I think this is lawyers going to lawyer, right? They're trying to dictate the terms. They're trying to say what's in play, what's out of bounds. They're going back and forth with the judge, trying to, again, get their client the best possible shake that they can. I don't know if it's going to work. There's a lot of crazy information out there, thanks in large part to Sam Bankman-Fried's public statements as he tweeted through it all. He uh, was very much vocal in public during this whole thing. And so it's going to be hard, I think, to uh, land the things, land the requests that his legal team is asking the judge in this instance. But hey, that's their job. They got to try to get the best possible shake that they can for their, for their client. They're doing so. And now we get to talk about the different drafts of the legal proceedings leading up to the crypto's trial of the century in October. I don't know if there's a ton more to say beyond that, but you know, there's these little updates. They keep happening. This is the legal system. Everyone in crypto now is an expert in bankruptcy law and an expert <laughs> in the, the finer points of um, the legal process. So we get, to, we get to witness this. We get to learn as we go. And we get to see little headlines like this that, again, are those sort of uh, little minor updates leading up to the big thing this fall. I think Jen may have some more nuance to offer. And I saw her raise her hand. So I'll toss it oh. her way. Maybe not more nuanced, but I, I want to add here just as um, as an addition to w- what Will was saying, the DOJ is saying that the tech that SBF has access to goes above and beyond what other defendants have been offered. And I think that's important to note here. You know, they're saying that he doesn't have enough to be able to prepare for his defense. But if we look at other people who are in the same situation, they may not have the means or the resources to fight as hard as SBF is to meet with his defense lawyers. I also want to point out here that the DOJ has filed another motion to dismiss all seven of Sam Bankman-Fried's expert witnesses. They're saying that the disclosures are insufficient, experience may be misleading, and that their planned testimony is not relevant. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. He has seven expert witnesses, and the DOJ is saying that none of them should be able to testify. Wendy? Um, I was actually going to ask you that, Jen, because I didn't read all of the article. I know I come so prepared every day. Um, no, there were so it, many articles. It's not your fault. It's not just there one. Is, there were so many. But that's what I was going to ask is, is the tech that he has, is it comparable to other people in kind of similar situations? I don't want to say similar because the type of case it is. And I also think it's important to know, I mean, he is extremely tech savvy. And I can understand why the judges are like, no, we don't want you to do this because you have a long history of doing committing crimes with this type of technology. So to me, it would make total sense. And this is why he has a team of attorneys to kind of navigate and deal with this stuff. And I do understand when you go through the legal system, you were very much involved in your particular case, regardless of the, um, the legal representation you have. But at the same time, is he really to be trusted with these types of devices? And I know a lot of people are saying, oh, that's kind of conspiracious. But really, when you think about it, it's he did bad stuff using technology. So why would we give him access to technology so he can do more bad stuff? And there are ways to get around things and whatnot. So I don't know. I kind of feel like this is warranted. He doesn't have a good track record. All I want to say is he probably had the best tech at his parents' house and he had to go and keep flapping his mouth. So I do actually have some um, some information really quickly. Um, I did speak to somebody and they did, in fact, say that he does um, keep track of like a lot of football statistics and just won't shut up. And his legal team is telling him to shut up and he's not listening. Mm. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited for the trial. I wonder if there's going to be like a Johnny Cochran moment where it's like, the glove don't fit, you must acquit. Like, I wonder if there's going to be that for SPF. And I wonder what... What what color your new balance is today? 
They're um, <laughs> slightly off white, like in accordance with all. On brand. On brand. You we'll have an Adam Cochran moment, but probably not a Johnny Cochran moment. Oh, nice. that was that a good was one. Fun. Somebody add Adam. Out. That was amazing. Shout out to the Threadors. All right. All right. All right. Let's change gears. Let's go to Grayscale. The crypto market still reeling from what some are hailing as a landmark ruling, where the SEC has to review its rejection of Grayscale's request to convert GBTC into a spot Bitcoin ETF. Now, there's a bunch of headlines out. There's a bunch of analysis out. Um, some are saying, hey, this doesn't guarantee that a spot Bitcoin ETF is going to happen. It just dictates that the SEC has to uh, review its policies and what got them to the decision that they made regarding Grayscale. But analysts are saying it may be likely that we'll see a spot Bitcoin ETF emerge. And as we discussed yesterday, we may see a wave of them all approved at once, such that the SEC isn't seen as giving preferential treatment to one applicant over another. So anyway, just a ton of uh, analysis, conversation, thoughts, opinions about this big grayscale SEC thing from yesterday. The market is still very much talking about it. Going to toss it to Wendy for her thoughts. Okay. So first and foremost, I don't like the Bitcoin ETFs any way, shape or form, but I will grift along with them and I will make as much money as ethically possible, just like the rich guys. Um, but with that being said, I don't necessarily know if we're going to get a Bitcoin spot ETF approved in 2023, just because our government moves so, so slow. Um, another thing is that, yeah, we might not get, or the gray, Grayscale might not be able to successfully transfer over GBTC to a spot ETF, because I do believe there is some other public servant entity that does need to approve it. I think it's ESC, but one of you guys, I'm sure, know that information. But what I will say is that I do think that this is a big one for um, crypto as a whole because we've just seen so many negative actions take place against our entire industry that is pretty much unjust at this time. And instead of the SEC actually creating and um, creating laws and regulations and helping kind of foster tech and innovation, they just kind of seem to enforce and use unlimited resource, cough, cough, taxpayer dollars, yours, mine, your mom's, all of it. I actually want to toss this to Will and get your take here. Yeah, we had two very similar headlines, but they were different in the opinion here. So we went from Bernstein talking about like, is this going to help the ETF? And the headline decided, yes, it's going to. And then we had the other one with the traders, the traders, and they said, no, we're not sure if this is going to happen, right? Like, we don't know if the ETF is going to pass. And that's because we're looking back at what the judge said, and they're basically like, hey, SEC, you didn't do this correctly. We don't like the disclosures. We don't like how you guys uh, kick this ETF to the side. So we need you to go back to the docket, go back to the books, restudy it. You have another comment period coming up. Go through this again and tell us what you think about it. And we'll see what the ETF decision is there. Of course, we're also looking at the Bloomberg numbers. I didn't see what they uh, came out this morning as I don't know if anyone on the show possibly has those percentages. But last time, at the beginning of the summer, uh, Bloomberg was looking at if an ETF was going to pass. And it was in the high double digit percentage chance that Bitcoin ETF would pass later this year. And I assume it only be higher because of what's happening with this court case. Jen? All right. So there is a 45-day time frame here for the SEC to look over the filings and decide if they want to appeal, if they want to reject for another reason, or if they are going to allow Grayscale to move forward with the conversion to this ETF. Quick disclosure that Grayscale and Coindesk are both owned by DCG. I think what's interesting to me here is that, and I said this yesterday, the courts are disagreeing with the SEC. We have judges who are disagreeing with what the SEC is saying. We spoke about the NFT um, SEC lawsuit yesterday, where two out of five of the SEC commissioners didn't agree with the enforcement action. 
And it just feels like things may not be going that well for Gary Gensler. And maybe he's going to finally be forced to giving the industry some clarity. I think that this is good news. We had the chief legal officer from Grayscale on First Mover this morning. He said the whole company is amped and they kind of look forward to paving the way for ETFs in the US. So I think good news all around. But like I always say, you know, we've had this in Canada for a long time. So I don't know if I can just be as excited as you guys, Zach. Yeah, I think the words that like the lawyers of crypto Twitter have ensconced in this one is that the SEC, according to the judge, acted in an arbitrary and capricious manner. So arbitrary and capricious, those are the two words of the week that the judge is saying, guys, you didn't really look at the at the fact that the Bitcoin futures stuff is pretty much the same as the Bitcoin spot stuff. There's a lot of correlation there. You didn't really unpack that. You're arbitrary and capricious. You have to go back and assess. So the ECF watchers, the Bloomberg guides, the will that you mentioned, they've upped their prediction to 75% likely to be approved by the end of this year and 95% likely to be approved by the end of 2024. So they're feeling pretty good, bumping it up about 10 percentage points from their initial 65% likelihood that they posited after looking into their ETF crystal ball and reading the tea leaves. So uh, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, the market seems to think this is good. I guess Bitcoin sold off a little bit on the news. So there was a lot of hype and excitement. Sold off a little bit, but certainly still a bit of a tailwind for Bitcoin's continued growth and a little bit of a sample of approval potentially from the US regulatory apparatus. It's crazy, man. Didn't think we'd live to see the day when the old spot Bitcoin ETF would be improved here in the US. But as Jen reminds us often, Go. they got it up there. They got it up there in Canada. So. Yeah. We do have to talk about this very important story because apparently crypto bank Seba wins in principle approval to operate in Hong Kong. It seems to me that Hong Kong and other South Asian countries seem to be thriving in the crypto sphere because in America, we can't do anything. Um, but basically, a Hong Kong arm of crypto-friendly Seba Bank won an approval for in-principle from the Hong Kong Securities and Futures Commission. And that kind of sounds similar to the SEC. And the approval is a first step in acquiring a full license for Seba Hong Kong to deal in crypto or virtual assets-related products and traditional securities. And that sounds to me like NFTs. Um, they would be able to operate with crypto products such as OTC derivatives, buys on virtual assets, and conduct asset management discretionary accounts in virtual accounts. And the CEO of Seba Hong Kong said Hong Kong is well positioned to tap into the Chinese market when it opens up to crypto. That was a key thing that stuck out to me the most is because we've heard all of this FUD. We've heard all of these rumors that China is completely anti-Bitcoin. It's anti-crypto and whatnot. But when we're hearing this come out from the CEO of the Seba Bank in Hong Kong, it gives a different light or a different perspective as to what's happening. And again, a lot of the news is kind of gated over in that region of the world due to obvious reasons. So I want to go ahead and toss this to Will for his take. Yeah, I mean, people be cooking with those bake lances as it's going to happen. Zach, I actually want to get your thoughts on this one, because like we talked about this for so long, 2020, 2021 was like the years of people getting these bake licenses in crypto. And I, I think it's just still going to happen for a while. People still want to play. And so when I, I get those licenses for obvious reasons, you want to be in the retail game, you want to get institutions involved. And so I think this is just similar. Onto Wendy's like initial point about like Hong Kong and like East Asia adoption of crypto. I think it really just depends on like the pocket of where you're at over there. Uh, Hong Kong obviously had like a lot of different uh, jurisdictional laws come in uh, back in 2020 when uh, British rule basically ended. And then like uh, the, the Chinese government started moving forward with like taking over some of the more 
uh, local uh, oversight of Hong Kong. And I think that did scare a lot of capital away from the region. It did scare a lot of crypto companies out of the region. Um, but maybe we're seeing a return there a little bit more so. Uh, but again, I think like every single part of East Asia has a different crypto story. Japan, for a very long time, was a center of cryptocurrency adoption. There's a lot of speculation that Bitcoin came out of Japan. And then it got quiet for a while because of what happened with Mt. Gox. And only recently are we seeing sort of a resurgence there. China, obviously, we've talked about that many, many times on the show where there's like pockets of people who are working on cryptocurrency in China. But for the most part, it's outlawed in many different ways and forms. I just go up and down East Asia and you're going to find a different story every day. So it's sort of hard to like put all that together. Zach, I'll throw it over to you, though, for your thoughts on the banking licensing part about this. People be cooking with them bank licenses. That one was an all-time classic line from you, Will. So credit to you for doing that. You still, you still got it, kid. You still got it. Anyway, still I think you're it. right. I think you're right to focus in on sort of the race in Asia, right? There is Japan, there's Korea, there's Singapore, there's Hong Kong. And they're all very much in these last six to 12 months becoming increasingly uh, welcoming to the crypto industry and looking to establish frameworks to support the growth of that industry. And when Hong Kong came out in June and started accepting licenses for crypto exchanges, that was a big signal. That was said, oh, Hong Kong is taking this seriously. They want to regulate this thing properly. They want to invite some big businesses to show up. We saw Hashkey, I think, won the first one, opened up retail trading at Hong Kong uh, not too long ago. So now this is sort of a continuation of that trend, right? Where SIBA goes in, gets its licensing. It says Hong Kong is going to be our base of operation. We're betting on Hong Kong is becoming that hub for crypto activity in the Far East, right? The other countries out there are very, taking it very seriously. The Web3 stuff in Japan is really fascinating. There's a lot of governmental embrace with Web3 white papers and all that stuff as well. So I wouldn't discount Japan. I wouldn't discount Korea. I wouldn't discount Singapore, which has historically been really strong, uh, as all uh, emerging capitals, Asia, as it relates to becoming the crypto hub out there. So certainly, I mean, you see people sort of picking their bets, picking where they think it's going to work out. And Seba, you know, from, from Switzerland, is thinking that this one is the one, Hong Kong. And there's certainly a lot of momentum. And a lot of history there, where Hong Kong had been a big player with BitMEX, others uh, in earlier iterations of the crypto industry. So yeah, I, I see that race as really being the story. And it's going to be interesting to see if like any one of these jurisdictions can win that critical mass to really attract and build an industry that is helpful to the entire economies of those places. So yeah, I think, I think you're right to focus on that aspect, Will. But uh, Jen, I'll toss it to you. Yeah, when we spoke about Hong Kong's licenses in June, there was that news that came out that banks in Hong Kong were actually a little bit reluctant to take on crypto clients. The regulator came out and said, you know, banks, if if you there are firms that are licensed to operate in Hong Kong, please embrace them. Please take them as customers. I wonder if banks are still a little bit reluctant in Hong Kong and are going to be giving up market share to banks like Seba who come in, get licensed and are familiar with uh, serving crypto companies. So I wonder if this is the first of more international banks that already serve crypto clients heading on over to Hong Kong to take market share from some of the more traditional banks. But now let's talk about one of Will's all-time favorite moments on the hash. Will, take it away. It's time to run it back, guys. We got to look through the hash history books here. In the early days of the hash, April of 2021, there was, I don't know, an outtake blooper uh, mistake on the show which I think will live down in books as a top five moment in hash history. Let's take a look. This is a big round, one of the bigger ones that we've seen in recent memory. And it suggests that investors are still seeing opportunity in these markets. 
I'm going to throw this to you, Will. There's someone who seems to be crawling behind you, which is a fun look. So uh, I'm going to toss this to you for your I take. I thought we were just going to let that go. Paxos's latest you should have, Zach. That's all right. No, my, I had a pipe burst in my house last night, and now I have people crawling all over trying to fix it, uh, which is kind of fun to do in the middle of the show. But, you know, that's how it is. Yeah. So, yeah, that was that was a fun moment where my landlord was running across the screen. It was like the uh, the last days of COVID where everyone was like working out of their house, but didn't really know how to run it still. My favorite part about those all the haircuts we all have and uh, seeing everyone on the show, different, slightly different appearances than, than right now. Just slightly. It's like slightly different versions of all ourselves. Wendy's a whole new person. No, shout out to Naomi. (laughs) Naomi's a really good friend of mine. She's an awesome content creator and I absolutely love her take on privacy and whatnot. But Will, I'm sorry you had to endure that. It seemed like a really traumatic experience for you. Like somebody crawling on the floor. I don't know. I'm I like what Zach said. I, I didn't. I didn't remember that. I'd really put you on the spot. But I'm glad that we <laughs> leaned into it. Into uh, you know, uh, what is it like? Landlord gate. What are we calling this? Like crawl yeah, landlord, gate. Yeah. Landlord gate. Crawl gate. I like landlord gate. Landlord gate. Something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just got to roll with it. You know, you just got to roll the punches thought, here on the hash. Yeah. The show must go on. It's true. In yeah. that same yeah, there's show. There's a few moments like that. In that same show, Naomi's cat made everything behind her come crashing down. So it was just one of those shows, you know? I will say, we don't have any clips of my daughter trying to come into my office or while I'm filming and her saying, Mama, can I have some candy at 830 in the morning um, in Mm. Los Angeles, California? But that that does happen quite often. Sometimes she does like to slip notes in. I'm hungry. I want a hot dog. Um, Can you (laughs) hug me? So she sounds like me. Yeah. <laughs> Jen just wants a hot dog and a, a hug. And a hug. A good candy. hug and a hot dog. <laughs> it's true. It's good stuff. Good stuff all around. All right. Well, thanks for taking us back to Landlord Gate, Will. We're glad that you survived and we're glad to have taken a look. Good stuff. That's it for the show today. Tomorrow's the last episode. That'll be crazy. Maybe some special guests. Who knows? It should be fun. For now, I'm Zach Seward. We got Will Foxley. Jensen Assey and Wendy O. We're The Hash. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.